All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck sticks? What the fucking ears? What's happening? What is happening? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome to it. If you're new to it, Brian Grazer is on the show today. Brian Grazer is a film producer, but not just a producer. I mean, you would be astounded and amazed at how many movies and television shows this guy has been involved with. I mean, life-defining for you, not him, but maybe for him, movies and TV shows. It's insane. It's insane. All the way back to Night Shift and Splash, the first couple of movies that he, I think he produced solo, all the way through. I mean, he did, you know, The Doors, Backdraft, CB4, uh, Apollo 13, the Nutty Professor, Ransom. I mean, like, I could keep going. A, a, a Beautiful Mind, Blue Crush, Eight Mile, Friday Night Lights, The Missing. Jeez, man. The Da Vinci Code, American Gangster, great movie, Frost Nixon. I mean, it goes on. And uh, it's astounding the amount of work that this guy has done. Amazing. And he's only like 12 years older than me. He put a book out, and and sometimes these are, uh, this is how I get into it. You know, this is how I get someone over here is they're doing some talking for a thing they got going on. So Brian's got this book, A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. It sounds like a somewhat inspirational book, uh, but it kind of is. I mean, this guy, Brian Grazer, this, it, and I'll tell you something, I've never, there's never been a WTF quite like this. We I've never talked show business with a producer of his stature in the way that we talked about show business. I mean, if if you think like he's done great films, he do, he's done films that were just money makers but also well made, but it's a very diverse filmography and TV, you know, he's involved in Empire the, on TV 24. It's just kind of amazing. But he is sort of a it was an interesting. It was an interesting conversation in the way that you know business and you know just how business and creativity uh, coexist, and and in his case with you know in one human being. I mean, it's it's just it's amazing how much he's done, and 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 it's also like what you hear with Brian Grazer. It's just a, a, a compulsion almost uh, to to work, and 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 to be able to follow through on things. And, and and maintaining you know good relationships, he seems like a decent guy. I mean, you hear stuff about producers that you know they could be hard asses or, or whatever, but this guy seems like a decent guy, diplomatic guy, and very persistent and constantly asking questions. You know, obviously he's made some you know blockbuster movies and he and he's looking to make money, but he he's sort of compulsive about finding things that are interesting to people. Uh, and, and, and he got, he has, he's sort of on the pulse of that. He's just a, he's just a curious guy. Like the, it's one of those rare things where this book, which is a collection of, of, of basically experiences he's had conversations with, um, people that inspired him in, you know, in his search for, for, uh, for things, but, uh, just some fascinating stories and, and just, um, that side of the business. I, I don't think I've had as thorough and as, uh, uh, an interesting and amazing conversation about you know show business from a guy who is major show business and a decent dude. So look forward to that momentarily. Also, 
I want to say hi to all my unique listeners, unique people. Uh, like I, I, because I mentioned, you know, I've been reading some emails from people in odd places. I got it. This was sort of exciting uh, in its own way. Uh, this is hello and thank you. Hi, Mark. I've been really enjoying your podcast, especially hearing about the interesting and varied places you have listeners writing to you from. I'm an archaeologist working in England. My job mostly involves working in the middle of a field, mostly on my own. You're one of my favorite comedians and listening to your podcast really makes excavating a Roman ditch or an Iron Age pit fly by. (laughs) She sent me some pictures and uh, thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. If you find anything cool, take a picture or send me the actual thing, Rebecca, from the pit. Don't I won't tell anybody, but I'd like something from a Roman pit. All right. Okay, deal. So creative people, just keep being creative. I mean, that's something this Brian Grazer episode will will sort of uh, push through. So many of us work towards, and I don't even want to include myself in it. Yeah, there's this idea that's sort of like, you know, I, I just want to be positive. I just want to be happy. I just want to be grounded. I want these things. You can be those things, but like for Christ's sake, don't be them before you fucking, you know, found your passion, before you fucking, you know, cut loose and, you know, follow that goddamn weird compulsive energy, that chaotic creative energy or compulsive sort of, I got to get things done energy. The goal is not to be positive and happy. All right, if everyone was positive and happy and well-grounded, there'd be no art. There'd be no amazing. There'd be no great. That stuff comes from a different place. I mean, you can have those other things once you've sort of, you know, you got you, you once you harness your creativity, your passion, your drive. But don't let that be the means to an end at the uh, at the at the price of the passion and drive and creativity. Don't do that or else all the it, it all goes away. All the greatness, the art goes away. You can create a good environment for that stuff to move through you. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out my ass, but I just I don't want to live in the world where you, you go up to somebody. Hey, hey, dude, did you see that thing that everyone's seeing? Yeah, I did see it. How was it? It's okay. Really? Just okay? Yeah, it was just okay. Wasn't great? Uh, there's no great anymore. What? I'm going to be in Chicago for a few days. I'm doing a thing. Maybe I'll, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do a, an intro from Chicago and tell you what I'm doing in Chicago. No live shows. I'm not, I'm not even going to be specific about when I'm going to be in Chicago, but I'm going to be in Chicago. But uh, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to tease that like that. Right now, the, the, I'm, I'm going to talk to an amazing uh, dude in show business. As I said before, he's got a book out, A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. It's available now. You can see all of his movies, all 900 of them, of movies and TV shows he was involved with. But it was really a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, so let's... Uh, Let's enjoy together my conversation with Brian Grazer. Get on the mic. We'll do the thing. Well, you, give me, you want to give me an orientation? No, there's no orientation. An orientation? No, no, 
yeah. All right, sure. How does it? How does, is that how your brain works? So you're like, all right, what yeah. am I getting into? Yeah, What's yeah. going to happen now? Let's frame it up. Yeah. yeah I always we, need a framing. All right. Well, I'll give you a frame. You can wear the cans. Okay. And then, uh, and then we go. It, it was interesting because I'm looking at this book, A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. And this is your book. You wrote it with this guy, Charles Fishman, Brian Grazer. Where the if I if I can be blunt, where the fuck do you have time to just like you know you you're producing everything in Hollywood and you're like no I'm going to take a little time and write a book what's the why you do, why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing it. I originally did it because I thought I've done this for thirty years producing movies, well, been, and television. Yeah, I've been producing movies and television for thirty years. Yeah, but I've also in alignment with that. I've met a new person every two weeks for 30 years without fail. And I, they're people that are, they're not in the entertainment business, so it's science, medicine, politics, religion, all art forms. But you met them on purpose? You're I'm, like, I'm doing a thing? Yeah, I'm did on purpose. On purpose, I'd write a letter, I'd uh, call, I'd meet assistants of assistants in parking lots just to meet Jonas Salk or- But is that, was the intention to write a book or just because no. you were a weird fan of things? I'm a. <laughs> I was a weird fan of. I grew up in a little tiny neighborhood. Where? Um, and much tinier than this, by the way. Than Highland Park. <laughs> yeah, it was in the Van, in Van Nuys, but I didn't leave this my neighborhood. I never left my neighborhood. I stayed, in the valley, right in here. The valley, yeah. But it was like the radius of three miles, and I didn't go outside that radius. As far as I could ride my bike is where I would go. But, but for how long? In your 30s? Or, I mean, <laughs> no, until I until I got out of high school. I went to college, sure. like 17 miles from there, which was USC, on a grant. I didn't really have the money to do that, but I went there. Um, but basically, I just I lived in a t I lived a tiny little world. And Isn't that I, weird, though? I mean, you were in, you were right here in Los Angeles. But what, I, what, I didn't know about it. My but parents, why? What were your parents? Doing? My parent, my dad, my dad was never around. A good guy, but never around. What did he, was he a do? Criminal attorney. Right, oh, in in L.A. In L.A. So he kind of lived the life of a criminal while he was defending criminals. Oh, really? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like what? What does that oh, mean? Oh my God! Well, he'd. Uh, <laughs> He always, often, more often, got paid. Never without not money. It was yeah. like IBM Selectric typewriters. He did a oh, thing for oh. the Apple Pen. Got like <laughs> a thousand sandwiches. He threw them in a freezer. We had to eat these sandwiches. So, so thanks for getting me off, buddy. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna set you up. Yeah, I have no money, but it is what we are getting. I thought. Oh, I thought I had money, but I don't have money. Uh, but I got these uh, these yeah. things in the trunk. Fish, albacore, frozen albacore. <laughs> That's you what know? you remember. Isn't that funny? The things you remember. Uh, so you had like a freezer yeah. full of frozen. An albacore, oh, it's gross. and you're, <laughs> and you're yeah. eating tuna for a month. It's exactly <laughs> stuff like that. And the worst thing, of course, was venison. He made me. We'd go. He said, "Bry, let's go. This is our way of bonding." Would, yeah. So I didn't want to go shoot deer. He, oh, he was a hunter. He'd shoot deer. You know, he was in the NRA. He did a few things like that. Not a big right wing guy, but in the like to shoot guns. And uh -huh. fish. Was he a Jewish guy? No, no Catholic guy. All right. So, the, so a your Jewish, mom's Jewish. Yeah, my mom's Jewish mom. My dad was a Catholic, and so we'd say, let's go shoot deer. I didn't want to do that. And then he'd shoot a deer, and he'd strap it on the front of the car, like just oh, literally so you, like you, Minnesota, like Fargo or something. You drive up north and do it? To like, uh, what is it, Angus National Park, something like that. That must have been sort of devastating. It was, and then we'd have to eat it. And I remember the first taste of this smoked venison yeah. grossed me out threw up really and if i can't even look at venison to this day how about deers 
I can look at a living deer, but as soon as they're dead, I can't look at them. <laughs> so I did live in this tiny little quirky world, and I didn't. I never went to Beverly Hills ever. I didn't know Westwood. Really? I mean, were you afraid? Were you? I, mean, <laughs> I, I wasn't afraid. It's just how we grew up. We All just right. grew up in a little in a cul-de-sac, and we right, didn't. I really, get it. Yeah. yeah, but you had a car at some point. I eventually I had a car, but I you know broke a few rules with cars. I was a mischievous kid, not afraid of things. No, so, but, but just my, never went to L.A. Just I, never drove. Yeah. over the hill. So if you if you saw menace to society, yeah. they didn't leave. Uh, okay, all right. South Central. I, I didn't leave <laughs> Van Nuys. Is, is that the situation you were in? Is a territorial gang situation? <laughs> so, but I vowed to myself to enlarge in my okay, world. Okay, once. So that's what why I created this discipline of meeting a new person every two weeks. And I would fly. I'd go there. Um, you started this in high school, though, or no? I started it just out of college. Now let's go through this because you're really the first, uh, you know, major producer. I, I think probably the first producer I've talked to. Really, and 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 to talk to somebody at your level, which is a very high level, I have no idea. I have a vague idea of what what you guys do, you know. And there is sort of a romantic idea of what the the Hollywood producer is. I mean, you guys are the top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. So I w I'd like to know how you you come to show business. What did you set out to do? You know, at like in college when you went to college. Um, my had a generalized goal of just getting out of college, graduating, and be respected. I had, you just wanted to be respected I for something. Be, yeah, I wanted to be special. My grandmother, Sonia Schwartz, mm. who I dedicate the book to, said always used to say to me, you're special, think big, be big. You know, your curiosity is going to take you all the way. Use that. It's a superpower. She what, really said that? She really said stuff like that. She was Jewish, a very Jewish little- I, Yeah, I had one. And- uh, <laughs> But she, while she was telling me, like literally every week that I'm going to be special, I'm going to be outstanding human being, she was looking at a straight F report card. <laughs> so there was literally no empirical evidence that I was going to be special the way she thought I was going to be Did special. Did they tell you you had motivational problems? Or they, they, well, I had, no, I had dyslexia, but they didn't classify it as Oh, such. you did? Thought, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, and... Uh, but I've, uh, I've st I struggle with reading, but I can definitely read. And I've improved so, it. And I was able to get through college with actually good grades. But And you wrote a book. And I wrote is, a book which, with Charles Fishman, who I love and is the, your biggest fan, by the way. No kidding. Yeah. And it took a little longer. Charles and I, he loves you. Oh, my. He's listening to this. Is he? Yeah. He, <laughs> he's, he's not a needy guy at all, honestly. And he, but he said on this particular interview... He didn't even say say my name, but I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I'm glad I have a fan yeah. in Charles Fishman. Yeah. Now, now I have to go look at his stuff. Yeah. Outside he, of this book he wrote yeah. with you. Well, yeah, and I actually picked Charles Fishman because he had he had no knowledge of this world, this culture at all. Of he wrote, he, Hollywood? Of Hollywood, no knowledge. And I thought, because I wanted a business guy. I wanted somebody that came into this world um I was able to introduce into this world uh, from like a beginner's mind, where he was like an uh, like Boy, a, uh, like an archaeologist you, just going in for a dig. Not cynical or jaded, you can hide the stuff from him, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> you can paint a good picture of our business. Yeah, I guess exactly, exactly. <laughs> but all right, so you, you want to be special, okay. you want to be relevant, okay. you want to be respected, but you got no clue what it is you want to do. No, I don't. I have no. I've no I think I'm going to go to law school because my father. Right. I just that, thought we that's all what think I that. You we know what I mean. I'll be a doctor because yeah. my dad's a doctor, whatever it is. So I went to USC and I got accepted into USC law school. Um, but in that summer, the preceded law school, I overheard 
these two guys outside my little apartment complex talk about the easiest, cushiest job imaginable. Mm. And I just closed the drapes and opened the window so I could really listen in. Like yeah. I put my head against the screen. I love doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. exactly. So what's so, going on? Voyeuristic. Yeah. yeah. What's going on? So and I overhear this guy saying, it's the easiest job, 40 hour a week pay. It's one hour a day work. You know, you don't have to do anything. You get free corporate cards, Warner Brothers pictures. <laughs> yeah. I knew nothing about Warner Brothers. So I just dial information, Warner Brothers. Come on. And the, the man that was head of the legal department yeah. was named Peter Connect. Uh-huh. So I, because then I overheard that's yeah. why can i please have legal department peter connect got him on the phone i said i'm a young guy going to usc love to be a law clerk he says come in and that day i got the job because the guy just quit the day before you just lucked out i just totally lucked out. and you out. really did that i really oh I swear to you yes and so you yeah. go into warner brothers which is probably one of the probably the biggest studio at the time i would imagine that and uh, universal yeah, yeah the two yeah and you have no idea what show business is really no are no. you a movie fan not really. I mean, no, I, no, I went to the, a lot of the James Bond movies, but no, I wasn't a movie fan. Well, because and, you're too busy not leaving the cul-de-sac. There's, there's exactly. no way to get out to the movies. I'm too, yeah, exactly. It's hard. <laughs> All right. So you're there, you're doing the legal clerk work. What, and, and, and what is that job essentially? That job is a, a tiny little office with no windows, uh, a third of the size of your, of this garage we're in right, right. now. And what do you do in there? Basically, you sit there until somebody says you have to deliver these papers to somebody. Mm -hmm. So one of the first people I was supposed to deliver Warner Brothers documents to was to Warren Beatty at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel where he lived. You had to do that. I had to do it. And this guy's never been to L.A. Yeah, I've never really been across the hill. So now I'm in this Pontiac, uh, I'm in a Pontiac, a red Pontiac that they gave me. They gave you a car then? They they let me use a car. You get a car and mileage and the 40... And uh, what year is it? uh, 1972. So it's a big car. It was a big car. It was. It was <laughs> yes, a big car. You're in your big red Pontiac driving over to see Warren Beatty. Exactly. And what did you see Warren Beatty? So basically, yes, I did. Because where was he at the hotel? He was living at the hotel. The Which Beverly, one? Beverly, yeah. Beverly Wilshire. Yeah. And so what happened is, um, assistant came down and said, "I'll take these papers for Mr. Beatty," and I said. I have to hand it. I just had. I have to hand it to him di- uh, directly. They said, "Oh no, that's not possible." I said, "They're only binding if they're directly handed by me to Mr. Beatty." So somehow I pushed that through, and all of a sudden I was in Warren Beatty's hotel suite where he lived, and I'm having a conversation with Warren Beatty. What'd you talk about? Talk about a lot of th- a lot of things. Well, movies. I was yeah. because I knew he was one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Sure, I was aware of that. Oh, good. I mean, just because I didn't. I mean, I, I mean, when you said was I a fan, I wasn't a cinephile like right. some kids are. But you knew you knew Hollywood culture. I knew. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew Hollywood. And how did he strike you at that really, time? Really nice. Um, he elected to not be inti- not to be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, rather, he, well, he was not. Inti- he does that. I he's think. warm, and mm-hmm. he he and and somehow is able to engage. And he just locks in, and he, we had this tremendous conversation. Do you remember about what? I don't really remember about what. I honestly, I well, it was probably like, well, what do you do? What do you what do you want to do? <laughs> he probably asked you that. Well, right? yeah, yeah, he'd ask questions like that. Uh-huh. What do you want to do? What are you doing here? What yeah. was it like living in the valley? Are you still going to USC? You know, oh, stuff really? like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's a very inquisitive guy, and, and, and he's remained a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yes. And in 1972, he's he's the biggest he's ever been. Right about yes. then, yes. he's a huge movie star. He was a huge movie star. So, all right, so 
here you are. So now I've done that. So now I've had this conversation with Warren Beatty, and he right. says, but thank you very much. I'll see you later. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's kind of, he ultimately becomes businesslike. Sure. I mean, well, I mean they, they got to know what they're doing after yeah, a certain point. Yeah, he's a smart guy. So he, so I'm done with that. And then uh, I feel like the next one was William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book, the novel, The, the Exorcist. Liber- oh, The Exorcist. The right. Exorcist. And I tried the same thing, and I had to drive out to Malibu. So this is part of, so you're seeing this as part of your experiment. This is part of my experiment. How can I... Meeting turn a, a you know a delivery into right. a full meeting with somebody that is getting something done in Hollywood because you wanted to figure out what the hell you wanted to do. I was trying to figure. I here's what I I knew that I could never get through law school. Yeah, I knew. Th- I just felt there's literally no chance I'm going to get through the first year of law school. Right. There's literally no chance <laughs> if that were to happen by some fluke that I'll ever pass the bar. Right. I wasn't a great tester. I yeah. just that is just not going to be were possible. You, were you not interested in the law per se? Yeah, only to, really. you yeah. were just you didn't know what the hell I you wanted television. to do. I watched television. I didn't know what to you're do. You're trying to placate your dad. Yeah, some version of that. Right. Yeah. I was. Yeah, and my grandma. Uh, yeah. I really just wanted to make my grandmother proud. Yeah. So I was driven by wanting this bond that I had with my grandmother and trying to be special. And they were at that time, that generation respected the idea of a lawyer or a doctor. It meant something. That's right. A- well, though, that's what I was more of a television kid. Yeah. And that's what was on television. Doctor, lawyers, and right. cops. Right, right. And, you know, if you could be, you know, so so those were goals for people. Those were role models and for myself as well, um, even though I didn't really know the complete details. Of right, right. It would be. Anyway, so I just thought it wasn't possible. So I'm scrambling like crazy to invent something for myself to do in my career. And so now you're going out to see William Blatty. What, so, are, you, what are you bringing to him? Well, I was bringing him documents because they were the company that also made The Exorcist. This was such a great time in movie making. It was. It was very romantic. It got, you know, look, I did go to people's houses, which I can't stars, where like very kinky stuff was going on. It was a very... Yeah, well, you can't just drop that bomb and not give us some details, can you? I don't know if I don't think I can. <laughs> um, well, let's not mention names. What did you walk in on in a situation that you were like, oh, I'm a little too young or I may never want to see this? I did go to a star's house, uh, yeah. action star, uh-huh. where there was a pretty grand level uh, um, orgy going on. Oh, really? In the daytime. <laughs> it, literally in the daytime, out in Calabasas. I'm getting, that's as much as I can tell you. But there was like 100 people. 100 <laughs> people? Uh, and you're like 20 years old? It's like 20 Standing there with some legal documents? Yeah, it was pretty weird. Um, I, I think it was my, my boss had a boss. Yeah. Uh, that uh, asked if I would do this thing mm-hmm. because he knew I was like a frisky kid trying to learn a lot. and He knew he some- you were going to walk in. So I was co-opting everybody in Warner Brothers to learn something, and he felt like he could co-opt me some. I'm telling you, that I'm going to tell you the truth. I've never done this on television, I mean on radio yeah. ever. He did ask if I could stop at the corner of Topanga, uh, Topanga Boulevard yeah. and the um, 101. 101. 101. Yeah. I stopped the corner and picked up a girl. Her name okay. was Kim. Okay. And uh, I took her to this place, yeah. I, and I talked to her. She didn't wasn't interested in me. I was yeah. just a goofy clerk. And you were driving her to the I'm place? I'm driving her to this place, which I didn't know what was going on. Uh-huh. Papers plus the girl. Yeah. And I get there. It was a very, you know, <laughs> like easy rider kind of people, <laughs> stars, that kind of stuff. And-, and she soon enough was like, had her clothes off and having sex with somebody. <laughs> and I just stood up like I was... I was in shock. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, look. No one so, said, come on, kid. Put the I papers did, down. I did have some, yes, someone, 
the the girlfriend of one of the stars had come on, kid, put the papers on, but I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was frozen. I was literally. Um, so, and, and when you got back to Warner's, did your boss, did the guy who sent you go, how you doing? Did you know what you were walking into? I have a feeling that guy later showed up there. I think it was all, like, I was just an innocent kid. Welcome to Hollywood, to, yeah, Brian. Yeah, welcome to Hollywood, Brian. So, okay. <laughs> So I don't know how long the show is, but there's I can keep there's a lot to say about all that. I was sure. a very very naive kid, right? I, can, I mean, I was that. ambitious and really hoped to make something of myself and accomplish this dream that I had with my grandmother. So in this pursuit during that period, I extended my trip. I said to my boss. I think I'm going to push law, uh, the uh, law school back one year. So I was, able to, I was able to stay doing this job, the Brian Grazer job, for the extra, for an entire year delivering after Delivering stuff. Delivering stuff. And I started to take on this extra thing of saying, hi, I'm Brian Grazer. And I would introduce myself to, in fact, Lou Wasserman. And Lou Wasserman- MCA? MCA. He was chairman of MCA, the biggest movie company in entertainment. He was the- He was, he the, was most, the guy. He was the most powerful guy in show business. And he basically said, kid, I love the questions, but you have no value to me. I don't know what you're trying to do. And he said, he said, I got, he said, hold this. And he handed me a number two pencil and a legal tablet and said, put the pencil to the paper and it's worth more than it did as separate parts. It has greater value than it did as separate parts. Uh You know, get out of here. And it was just the greatest advice. It was a little scary, but it was like start manufacturing ideas. Do start something. writing ideas. Yeah. Because you don't have a lot of money. You can't buy scripts. You can't do things like that. It, it's clear you're not going to finish, go to law school. He could see right through me. Right. So he made was the he conversation. intimidating? Very. Very intimidating, but not, um, he, he didn't, he wasn't trying to hurt me. He didn't, didn't try to degrade me, but yeah. he was intimidating in his presence. Well, I think and also that generation, I imagine you as well, in your your mind is that if someone's doing even a small job in show business, there's an element where it's sort of like, well, what are you gunning for? What do you want to do? Yes. Why are you in this? Yes, exactly. And and he saw that. And he you saw didn't that. really know. And I didn't really know. I would say, I you know, I would have, he didn't ask. I mean, in other words, I didn't get to say producer. Right. But that's sort of the catch-all job. Is but to, did you know that at that time that you were like... I just wanted to be in it because what happened is I got a lot in, in this year and a half journey of staying there as a law clerk, yeah. but at the same time trying to meet all of the great master filmmakers, which they everyone said yes. Coppola? Coppola. Every person, everyone said yes. The only one that I couldn't that said yes, but I never met was Robert Evans. But just because I don't think he made it to his office. Do you know him now? I know him now, yeah. Yeah. I know him now. It's so funny that you know, like now you know all these guys. But when you say that one, say yes or no, these were, were they still business meetings or were you reaching out just to go talk to them? I was just going to talk to them, but I I just said, I'm Brian Grazer. I work at Warner Brothers Pictures in business affairs. This is not associated with studio business. I do not want a job. I just would like, I know, and I would say something I know about them. Can I have five minutes, please? And what'd you get out of these things? Oh, first of all, five minutes always became an hour. Right. Um, I, I, I was able to demystify how this vague operational business worked. Of show business. Of show business. Because literally show business is like flying a Cessna into a storm yeah you just it's hard to understand it or see it and yeah like you and, and mostly what defines or differentiates differentiates business is language yeah and so the language in which 
movies and television are made and those mechanics of those transactions, creative or business, is a language that's different than any other business. And it's very, very hard to learn because you cannot go to business school. There's no school that really teaches it. So where, what was the first breakthrough you had and with who where you were like, oh, that's how you make a movie? I think it was Lou Wasserman because it forced me to manufacture ideas. And I always had a pretty tremendous- Ideas um, for movies? Ideas for movies and television shows. Okay. And since I wasn't in the Writers Guild, what I would do is I'd write an idea, like A Man Falling in Love with a Mermaid, mm -hmm. and I would write that as a letter to myself, registered mail letter to myself, that, that, and that not old open trick. it. Right. That old trick. Yeah. So that if someone stole it, I could go to court and say, you know, feel protected. But you could have registered it with the Guild, you just didn't know. I just didn't know, and I don't know if I could have because I wasn't in the guild. I don't think you have to be in the guild to register an oh, idea with the guild. Maybe. Me, you're, I'm, I'm counting, and you're, you're probably more, I'm sure you're more right than me. Yeah, ask a writer. <laughs> you know yeah. the writers? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So, so I did. I started writing uh, movies for television ideas. Basically, what I would do is I'm a title junkie. Mm -hmm. um, and so I believe titles are really important. So I'd come up with a word. Mm hmm or, or I would enjoin one word with another and it would become a title and then I'd build a story underneath the title. Okay. <laughs> so I'd retrofit, I'd just do it that way. And then I was able to, I got fired from Warner Brothers, yeah. but I had this, like a bin of hundreds of little envelopes. And I sold, I would pitch them and I sold two of them as TV pilots to NBC. Who was to, the executive? Very good question. Her name was Deanne Barkley. Uh -huh. She was head of all West Coast programming, uh -huh. and she's awesome. I, I don't know if she's still alive or not. She was awesome. Very creative, very uh, pioneer, and progressive. these are one-pagers? These are one-pagers, and I pitched her. What happened is I pitched her these two ideas. I got in there, and she was from New Orleans, and she had this very New Orleans-style office with a birdcage with a bird in it. As I was pitching... We heard a thud. The bird died in the room. Come on. And she goes, oh my God. And she started laughing. Instead of, she j it made her laugh for some, well, first of all, she smoked a lot of pot. Yeah. Which, But she was very effective, but she smoked a lot of pot. Yeah. And it made her laugh. And she said, we're bonded for life. <laughs> yeah. And so. You and her. She and her, she said, you and I are now bonded for life. Uh -huh. And she bought the two projects, which enabled me to barter them back, You uh, oddly enough, to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Television it just happened to be Warner Brothers. So they own the idea, but they didn't have a studio. So you could, yeah, uh, right, very good. Yes, okay. Uh, NBC bought the idea, but of course that would be very valuable to a studio. Mm -hmm. One of her close friends was chairman of Warner Brothers Television, who I'd never met, named Alan Shane. And all of a sudden, I was able to turn my little five thousand dollar commitment into something much more. And so, at twenty three, four years old, I was then. Do you you get, were making, get, you were- uh, I was making deals. And at 25, I produced deal. my first movie for television. Which was? It was called Zuma Beach. It was yeah. Suzanne Summers, Roseanne Arquette, uh, Michael Bean. Uh, Roseanne Tim, Arquette must have been 10. How Timothy was... Hutton. T Roseanne Arquette was just turning 18. Okay. And, and Timothy Hutton was and like- Joe Roseanne Arquette still no and I know each other and we tease each other because I made out with her all the time. Oh, Yeah. Good for you. So I had a trailer. You yeah. Know, I had every. I, had, I was a producer. It, it I had a lot you, of. You, inside three years, you're already a pro. You're in trouble. You're going back to the house in Calabasas. Because <laughs> that orgy was probably still going three years later. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't my mind. I don't know. You're probably. You're very. That's very funny. That's very funny. <laughs> I'm in. I'm a made guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm a made guy. That's very good. But let me ask you quickly. Yes. Go. 
So, so and this is your first sort of experience of making a deal. So you sell the ideas to NBC, you go to Warner Brothers, and you 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 get them involved as a studio. So now you're sort of seeing how that the nuts and bolts of those two things work. So then you get this uh, movie. You're producing a, a movie of the week for TV. Was this your idea also, Zuma yeah, Beach? Zuma Beach, it was so, for NBC. So now, you know, at, at the helm of, of, of producer this first time, what do you know your responsibilities are? I mean, what are your responsibilities? Well, ultimately what you learn is, I can synthesize it, okay. what you learn is um, the best way to be a producer is to either have the idea or incubate or the idea. Which means align yourself with the writer or whoever. Yes, so build it into a script. Mm-hmm. Whether you write it or you help do it with somebody else. And then that, therefore, what you are is the umbrella of all. The idea is the umbrella of all uh, employment. So there's and, paperwork involved in all of this. Yes. Okay. And you have to be the one that's fiscally and creatively responsible. Right. Like, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you this amount of money. You and I are going to develop this idea, this script. You'll get uh, guild minimum or whatever. And then, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. We can see if we get an actor attached or a director attached or a studio yes, attached. Yes. So that, and that's how it plays out. Certainly, so in, you're the ringmaster in a way. Yeah, you're the ring. Exactly, you're the ringmaster, the contractor. The you know, you're the one that you're the architect and the contractor. So, so you're, you're the guy. If some money falls out, you're like, I know another guy. We can get money. Maybe this studio yes. wants to you know kick in a little bit. We can we can produce it with these two people. Yes, exactly. Uh huh. We'll weld together some financing. But right, and ultimately, what you're doing when you're approaching, I mean, writers are writers, actors are actors, directors are directors. These are guys that want a gig, and depending on their reputation, they'll get paid appropriately or, or ask for more money and you say no but yeah. really the way to get the money is you got to go to guys saying that I, i'm going to make you money on your money yeah I mean, that's the way shit gets done yeah that, yeah you have to say yeah i mean look basically always having a sexy hook mm-hmm. is a good starting point mm-hmm. and a sexy hook is begins with a good title um and then a singular sentence that defines what you're trying to achieve and then an emotional destination so, so this is the sales pitch well, no, that's really what you want to do. Well, that's right, how, but I mean, yeah, that's how that's, you get a dummy yeah, yeah. with money to. <laughs> yeah, so you basically you you have to tell a story. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And like I had a story for Splash. Yeah. Man, it was basically a guy. It was basically I was in Los Angeles uh-huh. just after I produced my first movie for television, Zuma Beach. Zuma Beach, and yeah. then I produced the twenty-hour miniseries on the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I became a twenty-five-year-old like superstar you're whiz so kid. every girl that would never talk to me in college was wanting to have sex with me Ooh. and so, so that was a busy year that was a busy <laughs> well it happened on zuma beach because what yeah. happened the most sought after girl at mm. usc by crazy coincidence was sitting at this campfire scene mm. that was where that we were shooting zuma beach mm-hmm. and she wasn't hired she was just talking to you knew her from school I knew her from school, but I didn't invite her there. Right, right. She was just there. Coincidence. And I was sitting mm. in my little director's chair with like my short T-shirt on, looking, uh-huh. thinking I'm really a tough, cool guy. Yeah. But I didn't know how to even use power. I had a lot of power, but I didn't know how to use it. Mm. But literally, the two girls that were stars of the movie, like Suzanne uh, Summers and Rosanna Kett, waved to me. I waved. I see her name was Margie. Mm. This ten, five foot ten, shiksa goddess. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she. I waved to Margie. I like very excited, and she shushes me, like puts her finger over her her mouth, like quiet down. Yeah, and then they whisper to her clearly. That guy is the producer. She gets up and she comes over to me and she goes, Brian, I didn't know you're the producer. She comes more enthusiastic than I've ever seen Margie in her life, uh-huh. and she says want to go out tonight 
And I think, should I have some integrity because she shushed me, or should I go out and really have a good time? Of course, I took the latter. Sure. I went in and had a good time. Yeah. And so did Margie, I hope. Yeah. So, uh, but I did kind of learn quickly that 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 is a type of girl in Los Angeles, and I don't really want, that's not a future for me. <laughs> so I thought, what is my perfect girl? It's did, not Margie. You, but you knew that at that moment, it took a couple years. Oh, it took a couple years. <laughs> So Margie's a metaphor. Margie. <laughs> so, so, That's why you have the number one yeah, right. uh, podcast. So, so two years, a few <laughs> years was, of Margie's, you're like, I'm ready to get married to a, a woman that a real has person. integrity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. A hundred Margie's later. Yeah. A hundred Margie's later. This is like forensic file here. <laughs> yeah, a, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm just using your system, Brian. Yeah, yeah you're doing it well. <laughs> so yeah, a few years of Margie's. <laughs> And I thought, this is uh, this is tiring, it's repetitive. Uh-huh. How do I find the perfect girl? What is the perfect girl? I started uh-huh. defining the perfect girl. And what was and that the, definition? Well, Please that was- help me. <laughs> beautiful, simple, honest, mm. not calculated. You ask a question, you get a real answer. Authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Not beautiful. using you necessarily. Yeah, not, certainly, hopefully. And not yeah. at least initially. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I wrote all that down and it became Splash. But I superimposed, I wanted to heighten it. So I superimposed this mythological symbol. Oh, so that was what it was about. Oh, I get what you're getting at. So it was about meeting the perfect woman. Yeah, it was about meeting the perfect woman. And it, it's a mermaid. And it was, so well. So you're saying it's well, impossible. Well, I wanted to make it somewhat unattainable because that gave it more <laughs> conflict. The more conflict a movie has, the better it usually is. And But you had done Night Shift, but Splash was your idea. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had written Splash before Night Shift. Okay. So I started Splash not long after Margie, quite honestly. And what was your relationship with uh, Bruce J. Friedman? He wrote the script? He wrote the script. I wrote two drafts of the script uh-huh. that were terrible, mm-hmm. but Lou Wasserman says it doesn't have to be good. It just has to exist. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm telling you. How much time did you spend with Lou Wasserman? More than one meeting, I'm guessing. No, no, no. Uh, one minute. <laughs> like a minute it doesn't have to be good it just has to exist just write he just says like write it kid you know yeah. that was you know and that's what you extrapolated from yes. him is, 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 does it, very good huh. it so just you, has to exist I have to be able to say it I have to bring I have to be able to say it so that it has a currency uh-huh. and then if it can exist in the form of a script then that's going to be more valuable to me because it will exist so the fact that that it exists well, I can say, okay, you love this. This is what I did with this. You love this, the idea. Yeah. The script exists. Yeah. You don't have to read it, but I'm. I want to charge you, you know, hundred thousand dollars. Right. Not five thousand. Right. Because I did write a script. Right. So that's what happened. Then I got Bruce J. Friedman. He turned it into a much better script. It's sort of lighthearted for him. I mean, yeah. he's a pretty dark dude. He's a, yeah. Like, yeah. But didn't he write? I thought he wrote the story of the Heartbreak Kid. Or am I oh, wrong? Oh, no, that's probably right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he had it in him. Um, so he did a draft, and then uh, it was still not a very good script, and nobody wanted to do a mermaid movie. Yeah. So I was able <laughs> yeah, to. Is, so I got, I got the movie Night Shift made before Splash, even though Splash existed before Night Shift. And now, when you when you okay, so you did Night Shift. And that was your that was your first movie with Ron Howard. With that was my first movie with Ron Howard, who becomes your partner in production company. Yes, and, and by the way, I saw him. Michael Keaton last night, who I still love and love hanging out with. I saw him at uh, Toscana Bar. We yeah, he was right. Together. He was in here. One of the greatest interviews I ever did. I bet with Michael because it was so spontaneous and bizarre. Yeah. Dude's the funniest guy. He's he? great. And when at that time, you probably did you see him uh, cast him as a, when he was doing stand up. 
Yes. Right? Yeah. He just came in and did... Look, we tried to get a lot of stars in Night Shift prior to that. In fact, we had John Belushi, but then we got cock-blocked by an agent. Oh, really? Yeah. So, because we were too little. We were just little punks. Ron was just an actor on Happy Days, and I was just a guy like sort of... I did these movies for television, but now I'm trying to enter the feature world. So, in any event, Michael Keaton just came in, and he did exactly that scene of shooting the basket scene, three yeah. points it's in, the yeah. crowd goes wild. He did it exactly that way. We go, this is um, this guy's amazing. We have to hire him. He's, he's got the, uh, a truly unique energy. He does. And, they're, they're, and he's just on fire, that guy. Yeah, he's just on fire. And because we hired Henry Winkler, we had the luxury of he's hiring- He's been here too, by the way. Wow, he's great. Great, he's great sweetheart. Yeah. Sweetheart. But we had him- and that would enable the fact that we had Henry was enough leverage to hire an unknown mm-hmm. because with Henry they Little could they could already office. get their money back right exactly and the that's studio, re- that's Park. a real thing that that thing that's a, the the big difference in in getting a movie made and not getting a movie made is the profile of your talent yeah you have to have enough elements either a star director star actors you have to have star elements now like you seem like a very energetic uh, <laughs> almost um, excitable you seem very open. But in order to, to be in the business as long as you have and to have the types of hits that you've had, you know, you know, Night Shift, Splashed, uh, Parenthood. I mean, you've done a lot of movies that were a little off the beaten track, like, you know, Cry Baby you produced as well yeah. for John Waters, The Doors you did, Backdraft. I mean, it keeps going, you know, A Beautiful Mind. I mean, you know, it, oh, Apollo 13, which I love that movie. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, me And too. did you do, uh, what was the one with the old people and the eggs in the pool? Was that Oh, you? I didn't do that. Yeah, that was Ron. He did Cocoon. Oh, you didn't do Cocoon. Well, Wait, he, what? well what happened is Ron and I, pro- I did two movies with Ron, mm-hmm. Night Shift and Splash. Mm-hmm. He said, let's be partners. Mm-hmm. I felt he was too famous for me. I mean, because as kind as he was, say, Brian, blah, 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 take, you know, you get credit, you take, it, it was all the credit went to Ron Howard because he was one of the most famous American icons. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, I'm going to work my ass off and still be an unknown forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that wasn't what Grandma Sonia said to be. <laughs> no, you need to be special. <laughs> I got to be respected. got to be special. <laughs> so I said, Ron, I love you, but I can't do this. So he did Cocoon. Yeah. And I produced a hip comedy called uh, Spies Like Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, who was in that movie? And I did Real Genius at the same time, which oh, is about genius kids that go to Caltech with Yeah, Val yeah. Wow, that's right. I with mean, Chevy you... Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, my God. Spies Like Us. That's right. And John Landis directed. So I did those two movies. Ron did that one. I felt like I'm now a guy that feels has enough confidence to partner with Ron and not feel like I'm going to be overshadowed. So we then partnered. I just can't believe the number of fucking movies you did, Brian. <laughs> I mean, like like The Nutty Professor, Ransom. Was that the Mel Gibson yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Liar, Liar. That yes. was uh, Jim Carrey. Yes. And uh, Grinch. You did the remake of Psycho, the Van Zandt remake? Yeah, I did. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. I just I, believed I, in him and I wanted to try it. And, and John Waters, you take chances. I definitely do, yes. And uh, you did CB4 with a young Chris Rock. His first movie, I paid for it, in fact. But like, it just, like, I don't, okay, because here's me, me compared to you, and, and even in relation to this book. I may have a curious mind. I mean, you know that. By the way, I'm talking to you. I yep. like learning about this stuff. But I'm an I'm a extremely anxiety-ridden type. I get overwhelmed very easily. I don't really know how to deliberate power. I, you know, <laughs> When I do collaborate, it's it's not necessarily reluctantly. I'm, I'm happy to do it once a minute, but I don't know how to unify things. In uh, other words, like I have good. to be me in every situation uh, in order to, like I, I actively have to be present to make money. 
Yes, <laughs> I you. understand. Yes, but you are able, and people like a, another friend of mine, you know, like Judd Apatow, or the or I love people, him. Yeah, yeah, who who have this sensibility and this comfort and this ease around deliberating power and 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 not losing your mind when things aren't going your way, but have a, a way to keep cutting through to get what you want yes. or to at least negotiate something that you can accept. Correct. Yes. And that's a that's sort of a weird gift. It's a, it's not a it's not a businessman thing necessarily. Correct. Yeah, because you're a very creative guy, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of thank you. I mean, it, it, it kind of goes like this: the heartbeat of what I think. I I think I have a sense of what the heartbeat of what I do. First of all, I would characterize that I'm in the feelings business. Mm-hmm. That movies and television, anything that's cinematic, mm-hmm. it's cinematic. The the destination of that is to ignite emotion mm-hmm. when it fails to ignite emotion then it's failing to communicate in that particular art form mm-hmm. so and i feel like i'm a very empathetic and sensitive person and i'm constantly importing new people new experts new ideas into my brain and so as a consequence I'm learning a lot so that I can be disruptive. I'm learning a lot by meeting people in this curiosity journey so that I don't replicate what other people are doing so I have a chance of having an original idea. Um, I'm learning a lot so that it creates a curation system that might be better than other people. Mm -hmm. Really just simply informed instinct. I'm meeting Edward Teller. I'm meeting Carl Sagan. I'm meeting all those people and I'm learning about their subject. I'm learning about them and I'm able to marry that with my own curiosity and then I get a spark. So that curiosity gives life to an inspiration and then I can hire people and I just build it like a house. I build all these movies, Empire, whatever the thing is, I build these houses and I don't do them alone. No, and you, I'm, and you I'm had very to, good at working with other people and remembering what we were, what the outcome we were trying to have, and also maintaining relationships. Yeah, I'm, yes, yeah, I'm <laughs> you good can't, at that. like you. Well, I'm you very must, good. Yeah. Well, the variety of the types of movies <clears throat> and television shows you do implies to me that you know, generally speaking, maybe there's maybe one person out there in the world, one, if <laughs> if I mention your name, who would go like, "Ah, oh, fuck that guy." But I would imagine most people are like, I love that guy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you think there's more than one? No, I think there's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I try to, you know, I make a point. I don't think there's, I've never heard of anyone saying Brian, I, that Brian Grazer screwed me. Right. I think I have strong character. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that character has been influenced by my partnership with Ron Howard. Because mm-hmm. he is extraordinary character. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you picked the right guy. I picked the right you guy. Know, no one's going to impugn yeah. Ron Howard's character. No. No one's going to yeah. no one's gonna shit talk Opie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, we're very, very different guys. We have yeah. similar taste. We have a similar work ethic. So, like, he doesn't think... Uh, Eight-hour day is like a long, hard, grueling day, and and I don't think six hours is. In other words, we both think we both have the same work ethic, and we have similar taste, qualitative taste. And what 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 are the emotional dynamics like? You know, what is a, a, a common like if you're discussing a property, a script, where you know you and Ron are trying to decide whether you're going to make the movie and who's going to be in it or, or who's going to direct it. You know, what what are the some of the things that you bring to an idea uh, that are different from each other? How does a symbiotic relationship work? Ron is more of a cinephile mm-hmm. and w- it was and is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the emotionality of movies or 
or television so sometimes or, he has or literature. Sell, he has to sell you on something. So he does have to sell me on something, but mm-hmm. I have to sell him too. So basically, to simplify it is that he has really good um, film wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I have an incredible amount of curiosity. So I'm off the blocks very fast, mm-hmm. but then I need to hand the baton to somebody mm-hmm. that has more stamina and also more kind of cinema has more of the classic understanding of cinematic roots mm-hmm. so so you've got to find the director yeah, or the so basically simply like i might say to ron hey um i'll have an idea that is definitely that could that is very likely to be an original pop culture idea mm-hmm. that is He'll go, really? Is that what's going on in pop culture today? Or like with you, I said, yeah. I got to get these Yeezys. And you said, what are Yeezys? Well, yeah. I know all, what all that shit is. You know, like, wait, wait, why? You're a little older than me. Why? Because would... I have kids. Oh, right. And I like to also, in these curiosity conversations, I'm with young kids all the time. Yeah. I'm with young people other mm-hmm. than my own mm-hmm. kids. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to young, young demographics. Sure. I'm going to skateboard shops. Sure. I'm standing in line for a drop at uh, Supreme, mm-hmm. even though I know the owner. Mm-hmm. So I like to bombard myself with pop culture things right. or just or subculture things he doesn't ron howard doesn't do that it's interesting though. so he you might go a... brian is this corny and i'll go yeah that's corny right but then i'll say to ron do you think this holds up and he'll go no i don't think it does as a movie as a movie well but it's interesting because you make a lot of grown-up movies and not a lot of people make grown-up movies i mean you know frost and nixon is not a kid's movie no. american gangster not really a kid's movie uh the da vinci code that was a huge movie everyone seemed to like that but it's still not kids i mean you're one of the the rare guys cinderella man uh you know uh well eight mile that was a crossover I mean, a beautiful yeah. mind not a kid's movie but a beautiful movie that in an in an era where people are afraid to make adult movies you seem to do it yeah i do do it and but you, you know you make a few kids movies here and there yeah. and i imagine you take some shots that don't really go over that well i mean i can see the the like like with the nutty professor that was huge across the board that was huge across the board and liar liar all my comedies or not, i don't say my all the are you supposed to say my sure. yeah all the comedies that i did for 15 years they connected to kids yeah so i did six movies with eddie murphy they did the nutty professors as you said liar liar um with jim the grinch with jim so i miss oh i God. miss though for sure but um, house sitter work, parenthood worked. What uh, are your biggest misses? I talked to, I talked to Favreau. I, got, I get in trouble. <laughs> about oh about Cowboys God. and Aliens. Well, I just, my Cowboys and Aliens, I just wasn't the right person to be involved in anyway because I don't like Cowboys or Aliens. <laughs> and I even said that to everybody. I go, you guys got to be kidding. We can't call this Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> I, they go, yeah, we love it. And I had, and when the we I'm talking about, those are very powerful people. There's Favreau. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, but I, you know. So they came to you with that? No, it was Ron's thing that I participated, right, right. you know, Ron and. The weird thing is, it's not yeah. a bad movie. It's an interesting movie. Yeah, it is. It just, it was, it just didn't find its place. Yeah. And I'm just like, not the right guy. I mean, look, but I don't see a lot of the Marvel movies, although then they're giant. Yeah, but it's, it's beautiful that you make, like, you know, Frost Nixon's an amazing movie. So how does something like that happen? I like to do, if I can do it, I like to try to do something that is different than other people Mm -hmm. so it has a disruptive quality or in the case of television like empire 24 empire you did the first couple is that you know well i did the whole show lee daniels danny strong and i'm and i are executive producers Uh and eileen chaikin she's like the showrunner Uh so i'm still involved of course we're Uh all still involved and there's no tension (laughs) well anyway so i try to do things (laughs) 
<laughs> I try to do things that have a chance of trend creation. Yeah. So I like taking so you're the aware big of swing. That. Yeah, when I did Crybaby, I thought this is going to be grease or it's going to be a flop. It was a flop. But it's a it you know it was a, a, a it was interesting. You know those John Waters movies where he's got some money are yeah. very interesting to watch. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I like the movie, and I think it probably has an audience. Maybe it didn't make the bread you might have thought, but yeah. you know, I, I, I was, think it's kind of interesting that you know you're you, you're slightly perverse enough to think that might take off like Grease, but yeah. good for you. <laughs> I thought I just we had Johnny Depp, sexy guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I talked myself into it. Yeah, but but anyway, I do like to make um, adult movies, as you said. And, uh, the, you know, there's sometimes there's little subculture movies, like Eight Mile was a subculture movie mm-hmm. that crossed over, mm-hmm. Blue Crush was a girl empowerment movie that crossed over about surf girls and stuff yeah. like that. I just did one called Lowriders um, that for Universal. And about the culture of Lowriders? About the culture of Lowriders. Going back how far, or new? It's brand new. But I mean, like the, but, the current co- lowrider Yeah, because when I was in high school, I went to Chatsworth High School. Sure. And there were a bunch of lowriders, and it's a world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lowrider Hispanic culture exists throughout all of America. I grew up in New Mexico. Española oh, so you know is like it. the capital. There's hundreds of yeah, these it's amazing. cultures. Yeah. And they're kind of like, if you think of Saturday Night Fever, where yeah. he's in that little Italian house and oh, all yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So it's like using a closed world- like Travolta and Saturday Night to Fever. To do Romeo and Juliet? A version of that, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It celebrates, it actually celebrates the Hispanic culture. Yeah. What, it's, because I kind of pledged to myself after doing 8 Mile that that the Hispanic culture is a culture that is kind of denied and I want to try to do something about it. So let's let's go through some things. Okay. Yes. Like uh, um, like I, I don't know why I'm hung up on Apollo 13, but like there, I watch that movie every time it's on. Now, like something like that, like how does that, because Tom Hanks was heavily involved in that, right? Yes. And who wrote that script? Bill Broyles. Mm-hmm. And how does it, like, let's-, let's just How did walk, that come about? How does a project like that come about? It comes about like this. <clears throat> I'll tell you, it was the intersection of uh, Hollywood and a 12-page treatment and me and my curiosity conversations. Mm-hmm. So what happened is I met a woman 15 years before- Apollo 13, named Veronica de Negre that was tortured in Chile, Mm -hmm. but survived under the Pinochet uh, regime. Mm -hmm. And she survived very, you know, with so much hope and power and still lives in Washington, D.C. now. So I became obsessed with her. I became obsessed with how torture works as an operational thing. And more importantly, I became obsessed with how people survive situations like that. Mm -hmm. And just human the human resources that we can rally to survive things that we could, that are unimaginable. Mm -hmm. So now it's 15, 17 years later, there's a 12 page treatment written by Jim Lovell on Apollo 13. And I know nothing about the guy who was on the, that's Tom Hanks. Right. So he writes a 12 page treat. The, the astronaut Jim Lovell writes a 12 page treatment on Apollo 13 and that involves like aviation and aerodynamics and mm-hmm. all that, which I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I knew a lot about, because of what I because of my earlier conversations about survival, mm-hmm. I knew a lot about survival and what people can do mm-hmm. far beyond what they could imagine. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is what this is about to me. Mm. So I chased after it, mm-hmm. and I got Ron excited, and we bid against other studios. And like literally my only bridge or access point was the survival dimension, which I thought was so humanistic and important. 
putting a square peg in a round hole. And so that's what got us literally into this. in the process of trying to save the ship. You know, the two yeah. uh, amazing scenes were the engineers, yeah, right? Mission who, control, yeah. Mission control, trying to figure out how to, to keep Tell them these alive. Guys how to keep them alive to when they had, reconfigure things. Yes, how they can have oxygen, how they can have electricity, all those things. And that they were all these sort of like they <laughs> they had the determination and the focus of test pilots. Yes, or, or at least pilots, you know, of a cra- yes. yes. So so, but for so you, that's how it came that about. Was it about that, that was, was what it was about, and then I was able to champion in champion this little twelve pages into something that we could own, and then partner with Tom Hanks. And the three of us, and look, Tom is a superstar in every way. He knew a lot about aerodynamics, and Ron learned it. And we created an astronaut training school on the lot, which real astronauts came so we could learn it all. And then, of course, we co-opted NASA so that we could shoot real zero gravity because no movie had ever shot shot zero gravity. It's always been wires and then digitally removing them so we thought this was the perfect blend of science and cinema so you you reached out to nasa and said look you know we're going to tell this story we're going to tell it real and we need you we need you and they said no originally and the only ones that said yes was the russians who said you can use our <laughs> rock our jet yeah but that's it seemed like that had gone down a so few did times. you have to go back to nasa and go we had uh, to go back yeah well, no, russians are in <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> i don't know if we use that as a negotiating tool but we probably did <laughs> probably did but we ended up sort of softening them and then they became great allies of ours yeah okay yeah <laughs> restaurants you don't want that to happen you guys again it's still a space race yeah, yeah exactly oh that's uh, hilarious so that's how that happened. so that's how that happened but again it was the human component for it you. was the human component for me ron howard was did a quite extraordinary job because we everybody in the world knew these guys survived so how is he going to create tension in a story where the entire planet knew those three astronauts went into space and they didn't die they're alive but he found a way to create tension by creating the architecture of the movie was these three worlds one was the world of being in outer space in that capsule mm-hmm. the other world was mission control which yeah. you just referenced and the other world was the personal world of the, the family the kids cutting back and forth Cutting back and forth to those three worlds in an integrated fashion, plus all the launch stuff that was really beautiful and cinematic, became what the movie was and created all the tension that any movie ever needed. And they acted the hell out of that movie. Those yeah, they guys. did. Those guys were great. Ugh. And then, by the way, yeah, can you imagine how boring it was to do that? I, I, they're yeah. sitting in a little capsule and they're... Be, by the way, you, in order to... Hours. And in order to shoot that zero... The, the stuff floating around zero gravity... There was a jet called the KC-135 jet who would only do like 100 parabolas. So if you got sick on the second one, you got 97 more to go. Yeah. So that was it. <laughs> so basically, each parabolas would be 27 seconds of weightlessness, which and you have to lose the beginning and the end, so you could only capture about 16 seconds, the meat of it. So it's kind of like shooting underwater like Ron and I did in Splash. Uh-huh. You know, when people are swimming from tank to tank. Right. Because you have to get away from the tank to really feel like you see Daryl Hannah just yeah. in the ocean. Yeah. In the case of Tom Hanks floating around, you can't, you have to snip the first five, six, seven seconds. Of him going up. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you capture the middle. And so it's a very time, time-consuming, oh arduous God. task. They yeah. work hard, those guys. They worked hard. They worked hard for that money. And that was a, and that was a great success. Was that your, like, was that one of your biggest? 
Yeah, it was. I mean, we all thought Tom Hanks, Ron, and I thought, well, God, we're doing a good, we think we're doing something good. Maybe it'll make $40 million worldwide. So we're not embarrassed. And it made like $400 million worldwide. Oh, my God. So, and then it got nine Oscar nominations. How many was, Oscars have you won? I've won one personal one mm-hmm. for, but uh, for A Beautiful Mind. But I've been personally nominated. I think well, I've been well. I've been nominated personally five times: once as a writer, four other movies, and then forty-three times, and Emmys. I think one hundred and sixty times. I love the gangster movie, American Gangster. Oh, me too. That was one of my favorite movies ever. It's a great movie, and that got turned down so many times. And actually, it was shut down. Uh-huh. That they fired the studio, fired the director uh-huh. um, two months before, six weeks before we start shooting. Yeah, and they said, "Don't ever say." either American or gangster <laughs> because there was a big loss. But then I uh, I couldn't live with that because I love this movie so much because it's about respect. It's a gangster movie, which I love, but it's about respect. Yeah. And movie, uh, m- all of my most successful movies or television are all a access around self-worth mm-hmm. and, of course, respect. And survival. And survival, yeah. Right. Emotional survival. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I see... Like yeah, the, I make things... Yeah, yeah. It's a, emotional or real survival. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I see the yeah. key to it, like when you describe... Because yeah. I imagine yeah. with The Beautiful Mind, you did the same thing, as you apply yeah. a certain sensitivity to... 100%. To, yes. You know, a, a gifted guy, but, but also a flawed guy, I think history showed, you know, in some ways. But, yeah. you know, that wasn't the story you were telling. Uh, right. But, but you know, but it was the emotional perseverance of, a, you know, a, a, a very awkward, brilliant person. Exactly. And was stricken with schizophrenia. So he's trying to survive schizophrenia at the same time he's winning a Nobel Prize. That's pretty profound. But literally, you know, he was he was ready to stab people. I mean, he was, yeah, right. you know, when you go off your mad meds for a second, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a problem. How do you deal with someone, like when you work with directors, notoriously producers and directors, that can get dicey? Yes, definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the budgets? Yes. And uh, what, what, tell me a story of uh, a, an almost irreconcilable situation where you were like, this guy's killing me. Oh, wow. Well, the way I deal with people uh, i mean i have what looks like looks to be like add or i'm very i i I don't know why i said that the point is is you have to be extremely patient and words have meaning so you try not to say you try not to ever lose control yeah you try not to ever be impetuous um so you have to work a lot you have to be vigilant around your personality so, so the negotiation is all in the conversation and it's about depriving is giving love and depriving love Mm -hmm. and doing it gently Mm -hmm. and that's how you work with actors stars Mm -hmm. and that's how you work with star directors what do you mean depriving well for example if there's a director that says i can um you know we're now in it and i'm doing it but it's now 125 million and i said but our deal was 100 million Mm -hmm. and we told them 100 and they go crazy and they're screaming they're you have to just um you, I would just basically, I would not talk to them for it, a day. I wouldn't yell. I would just. You just I, described like a child. Yeah, that's how you do it. You can't. You, well, you exactly. It's true. You know, it's, you just, you don't ever want to throw the final card or, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're going to do it, you're going to fire someone, which I've done. I've fired somebody once. But that costs a lot of money. Yeah, that was, a. it would have cost more money had I not fired. Him. Who was that? I don't want to say. Okay. Okay. Um, I did one movie. I was thinking about this the other day. There was a movie that I produced. I co-wrote it. Harold mm-hmm. Ramis and I wrote it. Mm-hmm. It was a flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was with John Candy and Meg Ryan. 
And the director, who was the wrong director, I said, you know, you can't have the actor, you can't have the protagonist say to the girl, you're a bitch. We're going to hate him for that. He says, what are you saying to me? I said, I think we shouldn't say that. I think they should say different things. And John Candy shaking his head. Yes, Brian, you're right. The guy goes, you know what? You direct it. And I had to direct the day. He left. So I wasn't. You, you, know, you directed the day? I had to do the day and hope that he would come back because I thought, I don't want to direct this movie. I don't want to direct it and go to the editing room now for 20 weeks or something. That's not my personality. <laughs> not your job. It's not really. my skill set. But he did Could get. Could you have? But he did. I would have. I finished it. Yeah, would have I? Yeah, I would have. Yeah. I would have. He I'm, said, I'm not coming back. Because when you have smart actors, yeah. they help you a lot. Yeah. And Meg Ryan and John Candy were very, very smart actors. And did, have you directed movies? No. No desire. I don't want to. No desire. <laughs> because you can kind of... I can get as much... Um, cre I can do as much creatively as I'd like to do by exerting my creative vision early on. Because I'm, I do get respected by filmmakers that I'm working with, or in this case of television. In television, the executive producer is kind of like the director. Mm -hmm. In movies, of course, it's not. But like in stuff like you've done, like the television mm. you've done, and some yeah. of it's you know been pretty pretty astounding. I mean, Felicity was huge. That was Sports great. Night should have you know been more right. That yeah, should, should got. Uh, I remember that, that was, was Aaron Sorkin, and the first one, of course, right. was J.J. Abrams' his first show. Yeah, and uh, and you know, Twenty Four, obviously, but Friday Night Lights. Um, the the vision of that was that Pete Berg. Yes, like I, you know, I knew Pete Berg. I briefly lived with Pete Berg years wow. ago in Culver City. He's a the, great guy, wild guy. Great he's a wild, wild guy, yeah, and I haven't seen him in years. And I've tried to get him on, but I think he's nervous because I knew him when we were sharing an apartment with Steve Brill in Culver City, and he was um, trying to make a Prince movie. Yeah, but, you uh, should do with him. He's he's a first class, very first class guy. So. But he's also like it's it's interesting for me to to yeah, I haven't talked to him in you know decades. <clears throat> yeah. But you know he has a vision, doesn't he? As a yes. director, he has a vision. He's very creative, and he can act out things because he's an act. He was an actor first. Mm -hmm. I mean. I think he's a person that does well with collaboration. Mm -hmm. and, but I, but I, that's a Hal Ashby did really well with collaboration. He did his worst movies without collaboration, without a strong producer. And he did his, did his best movies with, with you know, a strong producer or a visionary like mm -hmm. Warren Beatty. So um, Pete, I think, is one of those guys. I think he's got an abundance of ideas and an immeasurable amount of energy and creative energy. Mm -hmm. Um but I think he's always good where he's got someone that's sort of partnering with him on structure, you know, like... Reeling him in. Reeling him in a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you did Arrested Development, which people love. My my world of comedy people. Oh, yes, yes. Highly respected. Now, did you get that out of the gate or did, was that something Ron had to sell you on? I didn't get it out of the gate. <laughs> I, I figured. Didn't. I didn't. You figured, yeah. It was a little too complex for me. It was a little subtle and complex. Not enough heart. Not, it didn't. It was it was antithetical really, in a way. It's very, ironic. You're very intuitive. It's right. It it didn't have heart. Mm -hmm. It was really funny, and kids love it. What's and, one of the reasons I don't like it? It's not that yeah, I don't like it. I yeah. respect it, but I can't lock in. Yeah, exactly. I respect it too, but I can't lock in either. Yeah, but we're and, sensitive and, guys. And now we're gonna, we're sensitive. Our guys. grandmothers wanted the best for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were touchy feely grandmothers, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. we meant the world to them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I respected it, but I didn't get it really. Yeah, yeah. And I root for it now. We're going to do another round of it. I mean, kids, people love the show. But you're right. Yeah, it's definitely got a less following. heart than more of my. Yeah, I love it. You know, Dave Cross is another friend of mine. He was just in here. Yeah, he's he, a cool guy for he's sure. A, he's a very funny guy. I mean, it's very funny. And he tambor. actually has heart. 
No, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a cranky heart, but he yeah, does. Exactly. <laughs> he definitely, exactly. He yeah. definitely has it. Well, Bateman, yeah. too, is a definitely. very heartful guy. Yes, yeah. So, you know, out of, like, in this amazing career where, you know, you, you are the, the guy at the top of everything. I mean, you know, in, in, I know the book, uh, Curious Mind, uh, is about you having conversations with people. But, but in terms of all these guys you got to work with, what was for you, you know, like, uh, like uh, uh, an honor where you were like, oh, my God. I mean, because, like, you know, yeah. as a producer, you know, they're all coming to you. But there's yeah. got to be some party, like you say, you liked Gus Van Zandt because you respect his vision, and that, that was a yeah. that was a ballsy thing to do to do Psycho shot for shot. Shot for didn't, shot didn't do I, that well, right? No, it didn't. It did because it was a weird experiment. It was a weird experiment, but I just thought, wow, he just. I thought he was such a brilliant artist. I thought, and he's sort of Andy Warhol like. And yeah. I, by the way, I knew Andy Warhol, and uh, and I just thought, I I just felt like it's not going to be too expensive. I we should try it. Like, no one has ever done it. Let's just try doing this. And I convinced the studio to do it, and they did it. And it exists. And it exists, yeah. But, like, it's but interesting. It in, yeah. in the book, you know, you have these weird moments where, you know, you know, Condoleezza Rice talks to you out of shooting in Mexico because yes. she didn't want you to die. Yes. And then, uh, well, the Jonas Salk thing, I mean, that must have been some sort of weird childhood fantasy. That was. For you to meet the guy, because he got so much press for curing polio. He's a big guy, Jonas Salk. Definitely. So he was probably, you know, in the world, because I didn't know where, she, so in the, and with people I've met versus movie people, yeah. I, I would say Jonas Salk was a top of the list because, you know, I had this unique, it took about a, two and a half, two years to meet with him. I did. He was old at that time? I mean, how old were you? you were, he was, uh, I was, uh, it was right after Splash, so I was probably like 38 or something. So he must have been pretty old already, right? Yeah, but he was really vital. Like, yeah. And basically, we had one meeting, just the two of us, mm -hmm. and then he said, let's have a meeting where you bring three people and I bring three people, and we'll do it at your house with no agenda. Mm -hmm. And it was fantastic. I brought Sidney Pollack, George Lucas, who brought oh, Linda Pollack. Ronstadt, and um, and he brought a woman that uh, did the figured out the left and the right left and the right mm -hmm. brain hemispheres mm -hmm. and, and how they work mm -hmm. operationally mm -hmm. and and someone that was expert on robotics mm -hmm. a nobel prize winner mm -hmm. and i would have these meetings like that with like him a with salon no, yeah salon mm -hmm. but i mean so i say jonas salk i met some just the greatest people princess die i mean that was a tear jerking first it was really fun and funny i talked her into sharing a bowl of ice cream with me mm. um at an event and if you weren't she's, if you weren't in the position you were in you'd be this annoying guy i would exactly <laughs> so i sort of seduced her into yeah. into helping me get a bowl of ice cream at this mm. dinner because mm -hmm. it didn't provide it right and when i got it i said i took a scoop i said you try a scoop and i handed her a spoon mm -hmm. and then we both we went back and forth on it and i thought I'm like having a date right now. I'm having. With I'm going to be having sex with Princess Di any moment. <laughs> it's a big day for you. So it was a big day. So I had a lot of things. So I've met a lot of very interesting. You know, Michael Jackson was amazing. I mean, he was like Mozart. He's yeah. brilliant. And that's all in the book. And then there's also like it was interesting because you know meeting with Condoleezza, Condoleezza Rice. You know, negotiating with NASA. And there's sort of this uh, this suggestion or the the reality that you met with several CIA directors that yeah. you know you will not you can't divulge what was talked right. about. Right. But is there a relationship with with the high level of motion pictures and the U.S. government, in in terms of uh, of anything, no, I don't know about that. I mean, look, I met with B William Casey and William Colby also, and those were CIA directors. And I also, it informed a point of view that enabled me to champion Twenty Four into life, because it's just like there's so much red tape. 
basically why I wanted to meet with CIA directors is they have access to all the information in the world and all the secrets. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to understand, because I'm so fascinated with human capacity. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have access to all of that, are you able to assimilate that information? Are you able to, how do you really use it? Do you use it singularly, or do you have many uh, lieutenants under you that are using that information? Mm -hmm. Um, How much are you able to really, how much is one man or one woman able to, comprehend just data itself less than we think and probably and but using it in all the time in world challenging life or death situations Mm -hmm. and that's what heightens my interest what heightened my interest in that and and i said that sort of bled over into what 24 was so getting back to the other question because like what i'm sensing in in what what i i appreciate about you is that you know you you know exactly your place and you you know you obviously have had tremendous success with it so there's a confidence to it and you know you can get things done but you also know your limitations which is important as a person. Yes. So that means you know, you know that you can't do what a director does, you can't do what an actor does, but you know what they do and and who the best is and what what's right for a particular project and I imagine you know that on the money end too. So, you know, in all this work you've done, uh, I imagine it's easy to take people for granted on some level. That like, well of course he's going to do that. That's what he does. Uh, that director or that actor or whatever. Right. Now, where, have there been moments where you were like, holy shit, this guy is a genius beyond what I you know, even imagined? Wow, great question. Mostly no. <laughs> <laughs> a, guy, a, yeah, a lifetime of curiosity. Nah. <laughs> well, as far no, you're saying- yeah, like, they, they, they meet their, your expectations. Yeah, right? they meet expectations. Right. You know, I can rely upon my, my analysis of right, them. Right, right. And there's some consistency. Right. There, I mean, I have a really fun times and profound experiences with some master directors. I was surprised with Ridley Scott. Yeah. He was, he's so brilliant. On American Gangster? On American Gangster because he he's a world creator. Yeah. He creates worlds. Yeah. And I wanted to go there every day on this movie so I could see how he does that. Mm-hmm. And while he's, by the way, when he does second unit, all mm-hmm. that action stuff, yeah. he's actually writing that action stuff and he, like an architect, draws upside down. Uh-huh. And it's just a, a profound... I, I was very... I mean, he's, to this day, like, I love him. I have at my house making martinis together. And, uh-huh. um, I just, and he just made, made The Martian, another giant success. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, was, I was surprised uh-huh. with him. Well, that's good. I've worked with Clint Eastwood twice, loved working with him. Changeling it's, was sort of a, a haunting movie. It was a really haunting movie, mm-hmm. and Angelina Jolie did an amazing job, and she was really fun to work with and remains a friend, actually. Oh, good. Well, yeah. your friend, he seems like you got a lot of friends still. I do. I still have a lot of friends. And you seem like you're in good shape. <laughs> thanks, thanks. And I appreciate you talking to me. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Did I tell you? Did I tell you? Great talk. That was Brian Grazer. Again, his book is uh, A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. And I think he he put the book out because he wants to share. God knows he doesn't need the bread. But uh, it was a great talk. I enjoyed it. Uh, By the way, the music remix on the show was done by DJ Copley. Check him out at uh, WebPuppy45 on Twitter. Uh, Our theme music is by John Montagna. You can go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get on the mailing list. Look at the merch. Get those poster orders in. You can do it today. It's getting tight. And my yeah, my poster packer guy, Frankie, you know, he's gonna 
He's got to go away for Christmas, too. So if you want to order merch or Brian Jones mugs or whatever you're going to order, do it. What else, man? What else? Holidays are upon us. Yeah, I could play some guitar. <laughs> for those of you who are like, wait, wait, is Mark going to play guitar? Because we've gotten used to that.